0: Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We'll be looking at verses 27 through 30 of Acts chapter 11. The title of the sermon is Each According to His Ability. I'll read from chapter 11, verse 19, through to chapter 12, verse 4. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible Word. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. A great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. <clears throat> so We continue to see the work of the Lord Jesus by his spirit here in this entire church throughout the region, but particularly in Antioch. Today we're going to dig into this section where the prophets come and they learn of the famine and the church decides to help. First we'll look at the setting in verse 27, and then we'll look at Agabus' prophecy about famine. In verse 28, we'll see their response. They said, we're going to help. They determined to send relief, and then they sent that relief they followed through in verse 30 we'll see via Barnabas and Saul. And then as usual, some questions to consider these eternal principles and how they may work out in our own lives, in our own church today. So first, verse 27, the setting. And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. So what does that mean, in these days? Well, it, uh, in the commentary we see, in these days is during that year that Barnabas and Saul lived at Antioch. So sometime during that year when Barnabas and Saul were teaching and preaching and discipling the church, prophets came from Jerusalem to them to share this message. Now, we need to pause a bit and uh, ponder this idea, biblically, of prophets. Let's look at the scriptures. We're going to look at two scriptures from Ephesians to give us uh, a quick look at the concept of the office of prophet. in the spirit so we see there that this foundation that is mentioned is apostles and prophets and christ as the cornerstone note this apostles and prophets were in the foundation there with jesus christ being the chief cornerstone of the foundation this and other texts in scripture lay out that these two gifts apostles and prophets were temporary and they were connected to the new testament time frame When the Lord gave his new covenant word to us. The closure of the canon meant these two gifts ceased at that time. Still functioning during the time that Acts is written. But no longer functioning after the closure of the canon. Uh, When when did the canon close? When the last word of the book of Revelation was written. That's when the canon closed. What's what's Mr. Confession of Faith, uh, our guiding secondary standard, In the first chapter, the first part of the first chapter. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of His will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in divers manners to reveal Himself, and to declare that His will unto His church. And afterwards, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same wholly unto writing, which makes the Holy Scripture to be most necessary. Those former ways of God's revealing His will unto His people, being now ceased. It's important to understand the office of prophet and how it functioned at that time, and why God had prophets amongst his people at that time. Now, stepping back and looking at the other gifts that Christ gave to his church, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 And he himself gave, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4. So, along with the other gifts that Christ gave to his church, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the Lord also gave prophets. Note that each of these are given for the following purposes. Why did Christ give these gifts to his church? For the growing up into a holy temple in the Lord. Note that phrase there, being fitted together. There's a lot we could say about that, how he works to fit us together over time. For the the purpose of that is into a holy temple in the Lord. We, his people, are to be a place where he is worshipped and adored. Next. Next. Being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It's another way of saying that. And you see this process that's taking place over time. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. We've talked about this a good bit. You are a saint if you trust in Christ. And you have works of ministry that you are called to as one of his children. And one of the key purposes of his church carried out through these gifts is to edify you, to equip you to do these works of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So for the strengthening and for the building up of the body of Christ. And the goal of this is for us all to come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this has a process associated with it. This is historical in its scope, past, present, and future. And God is doing this work in His church and prophets of that time, through their work then and through the bringing forth of the canon by God's divine work through His prophets, that work is still being done today by His Scripture, by His Word. We still have evangelists and pastors and teachers and we reference that foundational work, the Word of God, in the ministry that we have today. But all of this is to the same purpose. To build us up. It's not to bring focus on the prophet and to cause great marveling over the wondrous work. We, they did marvel. But that marveling was not an end. It was not the end. It was unto the building up of His church. Unto the strengthening of His church. And we see that as the fruit of the ministry of the prophet in today's text. Commentary says, When our Lord Jesus ascended on high, He gave gifts unto men, not only apostles and evangelists, but prophets, who were enabled by the Spirit to foresee and foretell things to come, which not only served for a confirmation of the truth of Christianity, for all that these prophets foretold came to pass, which proved that they were sent of God, but was also of great use to the church and served very much... (coughs) for its guidance. So when we look at this word prophet in Greek there and the general description of its meaning, one who moved by the Spirit of God and hence his organ or spokesman solemnly declares to men what he has received by inspiration, especially concerning future events and in particular such as relate to the cause and kingdom of God and to human salvation. So I think that gives us a a quick look at the idea of the office of prophet that God gave at that time and how it was put to use by him to strengthen his church then and now, uh, now through his word. So these prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's where Barnabas had come from. We're not told here how many prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. We don't know. Strong inference is that they came to Antioch for the purpose of telling the Antioch church about the coming great famine. We don't know that for sure. They may have come there to be a part of that local assembly. And in the course of their service and ministry there, God raised up this prophetic work. We wonder if these prophets include the same prophets mentioned in Acts 13, which we'll look at when we get there more closely. But I'll read it now from verses 1 through 3. Uh, This is in association with the ministry, excuse me, the missionary call of Saul and Barnabas. The text in Acts 13 says this. Now, in the church that was Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, quote, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, Then, having fasted and prayed and laid laid hands on them, they sent them away. So we'll look at that as we go through the book of Acts some more. When we consider this group of prophets, uh, perhaps it was the same group, or at least some of them that were still present later on in the book of Acts. So what does Agabus rise up and say to them? Verse 28. Then one of them, so one of the prophets, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, in his work as a prophet, has brought divine revelation to him that a great famine is coming throughout all the world. So what does this mean, all the world? This word world here can be used two ways in the New Testament, as the Roman Empire and all the subjects of the empire, or as all the inhabited world, that is, the entire globe. It's most likely here in this text it's referencing the Roman Empire. A commentary says this should be not in one particular country, not in one particular country, but through all the world, that is, all the Roman Empire, which they in their pride, like Alexander before them, called the world. Christ had foretold in general that there should be famines, but Agabus foretells one very remarkable famine now at hand. And he prophesies again later in Acts 21, and I'll read that to us and we'll look at it more closely when we get there, but his prophetic work we can see, continued in the New Testament church. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. This is in chapter 21. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Agabus, we see um, two occasions of specific prophetic work of this prophet now this famine did occur during the reign of Claudius Caesar Claudius reign was from AD 41 to 54 according to secular historians and also extra biblical extra biblical history dates this particular famine likely to AD 46 so it's an important point when we are seeking to give a general timeline and to peg peg things uh, that helps us as a peg point to time things that are occurring, not only in the book of Acts, but throughout the entire New Testament. And what about this concept of by the Spirit? It's not simply through human wisdom and wit, but this was by divine revelation. It's probable that there were secondary means at work that God Uh, used to bring about this famine. And it's likely that a person who understood their times could have looked at that world and had concerns about food insecurity at the time. But that's not really what's happening here in this situation. Uh, This is by God revealing to Agabus what is coming. Commentary says, Whence he had his prophecy... What he said was not of himself, nor a fancy of his own, nor an astronomical prediction, nor a conjecture upon the present workings of second causes, but he signified it by the Spirit, the Spirit of prophecy, that there should be a famine, as Joseph, by the Spirit enabling him, understood Pharaoh's dreams, foretold the famine in Egypt, and Elijah the famine in Israel in Ahab's time. Thus God revealed his secrets to his servants, the prophets. Now, I want us to note the practical impact of the Lord's gifts of prophets to His church at that time. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying before, that the purpose needs to be understood of why God gave these gifts to His church. And we see that purpose being fulfilled. The Lord gave them time to gather and send relief to the areas where the famine would occur, ahead of time. Before the chaos and the danger of this famine world kicked in. You know through your own readings and your own observation of current events in the world world, that famine brings on fear, terror, and this brings out the worst of us as human beings. The violence, the death, and usually the associated warfare, and even pestilence that can come up in the midst of it. It is a terrifying time when a lot of people don't have enough food and when even more people are concerned they won't have food. So God blesses His people ahead of time to mobilize the resources and put them where they need to be ahead of time when the trade routes are still open and uh, as safe as they would have normally been. And I do think it's worth recalling that our Lord prophesies in Luke 21 that famines would come upon the earth prior to the destruction of the temple in AD 70. He said in Luke 21, And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. Famines. He said famines. So multiple famines. And remember they had asked him, How are we going to know when this temple is going to be torn down? He just, he just told him this temple was going to be torn down. And they said, How will we know? Well, one of those things <clears throat> that it's approaching is that famines would be occurring. So how did this local church in Antioch respond to this prophecy? The Christians at Antioch responded in faith. Listen to what the text says. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Now, the Christians, right, they were first called Christians, ones like Christ, they behave like Christ. These Christians at Antioch, these followers of Jesus, after hearing of this coming famine, were granted faith by God to believe this prophecy. So that's the first thing that you think you would bump into, is people who are like, we've got plenty of bread. Everybody's always said the sky is falling. You know, I'm not going to listen to you. Why should I listen to you? But God gave them faith, and we, we see that God gave them all faith. To believe what Agabus said. Okay, so that's worth noting. That God brings the word of God into the hearts of the hearers. And in his continued kindness grants the hearers of the word of God to believe it. Agabus didn't carry that power. It wasn't because he was so persuasive. It was because God anointed that union of his word in the hearts of the hearers with faith. And this faith bore fruit. We're going to look at those fruits. First of all, I want us to see that it was a unanimous faith. They all came to believe the word of God together. Commentary says, The agreement there was among the disciples about it, that every man should conti- contribute according to his ability to this good work. The Jews abroad in other countries grew rich by trade, and many of the rich Jew- Jews became Christians whose abundance ought to be a supply to the want of their poor brethren that were at a great distance. For the case of such ought to be considered, and not theirs only that live among us. You could think that perhaps the temptation would be instead of gathering up extras and sending it away, gathering up extras and building bigger barns for yourself. You you could imagine that might be the idea that would have come on the table. That would be the expression of their faith. They also had an informed faith. It wasn't just unanimous, but it was informed. You see that word determined. Commentary says, "...it's promised to those that consider the poor that God will preserve them and keep them alive, and they shall be blessed upon the earth. And those who show mercy and give to the poor shall not be ashamed in the evil time, but in the days of famine they shall be satisfied." The best provision we can lay up against a, a dear time is to lay up an interest in these promises by doing good and communicating. Many give it as a reason why they should be sparing, but the scripture give it as a reason why, should, why we should be liberal. And so they believed the word of God and they understood the calling of the moment, informed by Scripture, that they were called to help. They were called to be generous for the poor. And for the needy. And to look out for those less fortunate. Not a good word. But less blessed in material holdings than others. Then it became an active faith. They determined to gather and to send relief. To the churches throughout Judea. Not just Jerusalem. But including Jerusalem. And it was a focused action to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Now, if they had had endless wealth, you can imagine maybe they would have said they sent their wealth to the brethren and to all in Judea. But aware of the scarcity of resources and the priorities given to the church, they focused their assistance upon their brothers and sisters in Christ. Commentary says, the persons that were recommended to them as objects for charity were the brethren that dwelt in Judea. Though we must, as we have opportunity, do good to all men, yet we must have a special regard to the household of faith. No poor must be neglected, but God's poor most particularly regarded. We live in a world of limited resources, and so we are called to prioritize the use of our resources. And God's Word teaches us to prioritize our own households and the needs of those households, and then outside of that, to prioritize the needs of those Christians, particularly in our own assembly, but then Christians throughout the world in our assistance. And then, yes, with what God blesses us to overflow to help those outside the church who are poor also. Next, I want us to see that it was a wise action. And this is really important. Um, The title of the sermon, I felt like this was maybe the thing I wanted to emphasize the most to us. Each according to his ability. And this is wise action. We'll talk about it some more at the end of the sermon Every man, the commentary says, determined to send something more or less according to his ability, what he could spare from the support of himself and his family, and according as God had prospered him. What may be said to be according to our ability, we must judge for ourselves, but must be careful that we judge righteous judgment. And so the wisdom here is in, we see the Spirit working by the Word, in the minds of these believers in Antioch, that they understood what their needs were. And they understood what their revenues were. And they were able through wisdom to calculate that which was extra. And they went through that process for the purpose of serving others. And this is a a great message to us. And then within the church, they understood how to prioritize that to send it to the brethren in Judea. And they were able, you you can see by inference, to understand they didn't have enough to also recommend it for the use of those outside the church. But we'll even see then they gave it to the elders at the local assembly. So if there was more than those local elders, could have then used it outside the church. So they moved ahead with their determination, their decision. In verse 30, they carried it through. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Oh, brothers and sisters, the good plans of the Antioch Christians do not fade into forgotten promises. The plans are brought to fruition. You can imagine what that meeting might have been like when they heard from Agabus and they all kind of prayed and sought the Lord. And I don't know if it was that meeting or the next meeting or shortly thereafter. But the church came to this decision together. But a decision is one thing. An action is another. And there are dreamers who think and make a lot of determinations and don't act. But that's not what faith looks like. Commentary says they not only talked of it, but they did it. Many a good motion of that kind is made and commended, but is not prosecuted and so comes to nothing. Imagine doing the work necessary to determine what's extra and you're gathering it together, that's a moment when you're saying goodbye to those things you've gathered. That's another moment of faith required. That's what follow-through is all about. It's one thing to say, yeah, let's do it. And then when you start doing it, every moment of action requires more faith. And that is what, for us, is going to determine the difference between being a dreamer and being decisive and Faith working in us unto good works. And Christ Himself must be our treasure, brothers and sisters. He and His promises as our Father. This is what we're seeing behind this. This church had learned through the teaching of Barnabas and Saul for over a year to continue with the Lord. They had learned of their Father's great power and great love And they had gripped the reality that their father would care for them. And that releasing these earthly treasures did not serve as a threat to their own well-being. In this coming famine world they were about to be in. It's worth considering, is it not? Now, let's also note their wisdom and how this Antioch church thought through the important details of their actions. They decided that they would send the relief to the elders. Church leaders are entrusted with the care of these resources to be distributed according to their on-the-ground knowledge and wisdom. We saw the same kind of thing take place in chapter 6 when the controversy regarding food for the widows came up and the way the church leaders worked with the church members as a beautiful uh, spirit-choreographed, dance of faithfulness and God blessed them so the church leaders are entrusted with this and that's wisdom they didn't just send it to the churches without instruction to Saul and Barnabas to whom to give these resources these resources were to go to the elders similar to what we saw earlier in Acts when they sold everything and brought it to the feet of the apostles and gave these resources to the elders Commentary says, To the elders, the presbyters, the ministers or pastors of the churches in Judea, to be by them distributed according to the necessity of the receivers, as it had been contributed according to the ability of the givers. I like that uh, comparison there made by uh, Matthew Henry. According to the ability of the givers, it was gathered. And it is be, to be distributed according to, to the necessity of the receivers. And who will better know that than the church leaders there in that town? You notice they didn't distribute it to the presbytery of the region, they distributed it to the elders of the local assemblies. And this is an important principle of life that resources, when it comes to benevolence, are to go and be granted localist level, the localist level of authority and responsibility. Those most connected with the people will be best able to make sure those resources are spent in the ways that are the most fruitful and avoid waste, the least likely to lead to waste. And this, we could we talk a lot about how, what it looks like in, in our world today where this principle is ignored in terms of local responsibility and accountability with resources. Next, their wisdom. It was sent by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. As the Jerusalem church had earlier deprived themselves of Barnabas for the good of the wider church, remember they sent Barnabas there throughout the region uh, as far as Antioch, now we see the Antioch church following this example. This critical task is entrusted to proven, trusted men now there's a lot that can be said about this point here. Starting with the focus that it demonstrates the wisdom of that church. Their faith in action is informed by wisdom. Who to send. So they not only want to send these resources and hands they can trust. But they have been taught by these men for a year. And they see the blessings in their own church. Of the ministry of these two men. And so you have to think that they want to see these local assemblies blessed by Saul and Barnabas as well. It also teaches us us that there had been enough fruitfulness there in their own local assembly to feel like they weren't going to not do well without Saul and Barnabas, which is a testimony to the work of the Spirit in them as they were discipling and teaching that men were being raised up there locally who could minister in their absence. Next, I hope that we will note the compassionate connection of the brethren throughout the region. I want us to note the meaningful connections God created between these local assemblies. This text shows us the importance and the beauty and the power of meaningful and active connections of love between local assemblies, essentially forming a web of churches learning to function as one organic body over time. There were no denominations at this time. There was no separation of God's church at this time. They kept up with one another. They knew one another's needs. And it was this growing organism that was spreading out over the whole whole globe. And as we are brought to that perfect man described in Ephesians, through the work, the ministry of God's church and the people of the church over time, it's not just individuals who are sanctified. It's not just families that are sanctified over time. It's not just local assemblies that are sanctified over time. It is God's church in the earth that is sanctified over time. And it will, it will, as God places His enemies under His feet, in due time, lead to a beautiful, unified communion of saints throughout the entire world. We pray for this unity of God's church to be established throughout the entire world. Can you, can you begin to imagine what that would look like? And we get a picture of it here. <clears throat> the commentary says, A final note concerns how one church came to the aid of another Today, many churches are interested only in their own ministry or in using their facilities and resources only for their own efforts. It is sad to see large-budget churches that give very little to missions or do very little for other believing communities in need in their own area when they easily could. We must be careful that the desired pursuit of excellence in ministry to our own does not leave us neglecting others whom we could help with a little more self-sacrifice. Other churches reflecting the character of this Acts 11 community, are engaged in actively helping others as they are able, as part of the perspective of their own ministry. In a world where everyone looks out for number one, this kind of selflessness is itself a great testimony to the power and witness of the gospel to change people. So, the fragmentation of the church is going to reveal itself so often in in not being connected with other local assemblies like we should. And not thinking about them and their needs as we should. And not having that as kind of the normal ebb and flow of our existence as a local assembly. So we see this kind of meaningful connection present in Presbyterianism. Uh, and it's meant to be a way that local assemblies strengthen and encourage one another. And so it's, as you can see, now moving into application, we're trying to establish this here locally with other local assemblies, with other Christians here in our area who are followers of Jesus, who are Christians, and to be able to strengthen and encourage one another. I have relationships that I've developed with other pastors, and it is my prayer, because of, This principle that God would grant to us to have this kind of meaningful connection with other local assemblies here in our area who are faithful to the Lord and that the denominational distinctives that define us, which are good things, would not become bad things and make a wall in between us, but rather that we would be united together as Christians to do His work. So moving on into a little bit more um, application at this time. Some questions for us to think through these principles for ourselves. Stepping back a little bit and also bringing in the major theme of our Christian instruction hour today about God's providence. How often do you remember God's all encompassing providence as your life progresses? You know, look at, looking at this situation here, we see a lot of different things going on, don't we? You've got the Roman Empire. You've got Claudius, who's mentioned. right? So you've got this grand empire that's in place over this large portion of the world. And everything that goes along with that empire, the wealth, the civilization, the infrastructure, the stability, the relative safety, compared to what had been in place prior to the coming of this kingdom. And within that... All of the people of God are able to travel and move and there's a large amount of food security that's been established throughout this empire. That's God's gift to them. It's just one of the areas we can focus on in God's providence and he's about to take it away. Right? Now, we know that this that occurred is an adversity that he gives to his people because he loves them. It also serves as a redemptive judgment against the Jews for killing Christ. And it's a part of the ongoing, unfolding redemptive judgment of God. The people of God, salvation is of the Jews, they rejected Him. They Turned their back on Him. And they worked with the Romans to kill Him. So all these things are unfolding here during this time. And these people are brought into it And they're able to love each other and grow up as a regional church together and form deeper ties and deeper bonds of commitment to one another as a result of this time of great adversity and fear. Their faith grows. They are strengthened during this time of adversity. And it did not happen by chance. It happened because for the people of God, Because of God's fatherly care and love for them. And it may have taken them a time. To come to believe that. But these people here. At the church in Antioch. Appear to have come to believe it pretty quickly. That their father would care for them. And that they were called to respond. In love and generosity. And to give. In such a way that. Would probably take a lot of faith for them. Think about it. All those extras that you're giving away wow, those might be coming handy during a time of famine. But they gave them to the others. Not to say they didn't necessarily have some stores where they were also laying aside, uh, but they gave and they could have kept. Next. Do you believe that God, your Father in heaven, will feed you? Do you believe that God, your Father in heaven, will clothe you? Does he clothe the lilies? who are here today and then gone? Will He care for you? So when we trust in God, our Father's love for us, and we believe in His power, then we will be able to be generous like this. And we will be able to see behind the curtain and understand that our Father is walking us through this place where we get the joy of expressing faith. Which means we can't see how we're going to get fed, how we're going to get clothed, necessarily. But we know that He sees. We know that He delights in taking care of us. And so these people stretched themselves to that point. And I think the simplest way to say it is because they believed that their Heavenly Father would feed them. They believed that He who gave His only Son, will He not also with Him freely give us all things? They trusted God their Father in this Daily, personal kind of way. That's why when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, we don't ask for a year's worth of food, do we? Give us this year our yearly bread. I mean, there's a message there for us. Give us this day our daily bread. Certainly we plan ahead. We look to the ant. There's wisdom and there's prudence. But all of that is associated with trust towards God, not with fear. Next. And I've alluded to this already. As you meditate upon your dear Savior, Jesus Christ, upon the cross, and you you, you ponder what he has done for you, can this not bring you to trust your Heavenly Father to be generous? To be generous to the needy? To tithe without fear? And to even give beyond the tithe? according to your ability and so as we do budgeting it really should be in the shadow of the cross it is it is a very humanistic activity otherwise we must do budgeting in the shadow of the cross and we must budget because of the shadow of the cross budgeting is so we can be like these people budgeting is so we can be generous and feel like we've done our due diligence And not trampling upon other important principles through a lack of due diligence. What if you give away too much and you can't feed your own family? Is that wise? And so we can't always know all these things with perfect predictions. But we are to do our very best through budgeting. And when we open up this idea of according to your ability it really brings in a lot of these principles of financial stewardship that God calls us to. But these principles of stewardship are the overflow of our gratitude for what Christ has done for us upon the cross and an expression that if God did this for us to deliver us and bring us back to Him into His love, that we can be generous and that we can build our financial efforts around this great and guiding principle of being generous. Being generous. Build our financial principles around serving others, serving the next generation, serving not only our own children and grandchildren, but the families of those in our church and other believers throughout the world and the poor in general. May God grant us to be more generous, brothers and sisters. It's in adversity when we find out about our faith. It's in adversity when we find out who we really are. It's in adversity. When we find out whether we believe these. Great truths that are before us. In the text today. And I hope that you see. Do you? How God uses adversity from heaven. For our good. To. Uh, to write his love upon our hearts. To draw us nearer to him. So that we could be more like Christ and uh, be generous people, to be givers, to care for others, to look at our pennies and our dollars uh, in the shadow of the cross and with the needs of our beloved brothers and sisters for whom Christ shed his blood in our minds as we consider these things. do You see how adversity from heaven works to unite us with our Father in heaven more deeply. More surely, more surely with greater faith and to unite us with His people in generous, uh, compassionate love and service. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that You sent Christ Your Son Starvation of our own souls met with heaven's treasure, fed by the Son of God. Oh, Father, bless us to be like you. In Jesus' name we pray.